Well, good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. There is lots happening this weekend. Of course, we have the boat races down at the park. We also have uh, 26 middle schoolers along with about a half dozen leaders up in the mountains at middle school camp. So we want to be praying for Douglas and the middle schoolers, praying that God would do a mighty work in their lives while they're up there at, uh, up at camp. Also, just for God's hand of protection over them because you put 26 middle schoolers together, you never know what might happen, right? Uh, my name is Brian Stark. For those of you who don't know, I had the privilege of serving on staff here at South Hills Church for nine and a half years as the pastor of community and outreach. Uh, and then my, God moved my wife and I back into vocational missions, and we currently serve with an organization called World Venture. Uh, we wear two hats with the organization. One is we coach and mentor people serving in their first term across the Asia-Pacific region. The other hat we wear is we are the global short-term coordinators for World Venture. Uh, one of the things we love about uh, South Hills is South Hills has a heart and a passion for global outreach. Uh, Scott and his family are in Portland having just just landed, just gotten back yesterday from Indonesia, visiting some global workers there. And as a church, we are sending out 12 people to Honduras uh, this week. If you're on the Honduras team, I want to invite you to come up uh, on the stage. Yes, come up here. I know most of you would rather be in the background. Not everybody's here today. We have a couple that are gone. My wife, I think, is down working in the coffee shop. Uh, but we have a, a dozen people headed out. We're leaving here uh, from the church at uh, 5 o'clock on Thursday. So if you'd love to pray with the team and send them off, please join us here at 445 on Thursday. Also out in the lobby, there's some prayer calendars you can take and be praying specifically for the team while they're gone. This is a partnership we've had for 10 years now with a school south of San Pedro Sula in an under-resourced community called Kalan. Uh, the school started after Hurricane Mitch as a feeding center. Then they started doing a preschool and then started doing a school. They've gradually grown and they're now K through 9, 220 students. The teachers there, what do we love about partnering with this school? is that the teachers realize it's more than just reading, writing, and arithmetic, that they have an opportunity to disciple these kids in their community. Uh, and just fascinating story, uh, MS-13, if you're familiar with that gang, MS-13 actually controls the community and some of the gang members' kids actually attend the school. Uh, so, you know, the light and the testimony that we get to be while we are there. We take over the school for a week, uh, teach Bible, English, music, uh, crafts, games, uh, have a great time with the students for the week that we are there. And then at the end of the week, we're going to do some continuing education with the teachers because we're taking uh, four or five teachers from here with us so we can encourage the staff there. So we're excited. Uh, we'd love for you to come and pray with us at 445 on Thursday. The team will drive up to Spokane and spend the night and fly out Friday morning, and uh, we just uh, covet your prayers as we go. Uh, I've asked Ronnie, one of our elders, if he would come and pray over the team and commission them. So this is a representation of the group that's going to be heading out. Thanks, brother. Um, at this time, I would like everyone to put their hands up and pray along with me. Father in heaven, we come before you and thanking you so much, Father God, for the time that you have given us here today. At this time, Father, we humbly come before you and ask that you uh, send off the Honduras team, Father God. We pray that you empower them with your Holy Spirit. Give them the strength, the perseverance, and endurance, Father God, to do what they need to do down in Honduras. But more importantly, Father God, would you give them the courage and the strength to speak and share the gospel, Father God, with those that uh, are eager to hear it. And for those that don't know you, Father God, may they come to know you through their efforts 
and their time and their talents there in Honduras. Thank you, Father God, for the willingness that you've given these people to go down to a foreign country to spread the good news of the gospel, Father God, so that they could come to know you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, we praise you. All power, strength, and glory be to you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. They are a representation of you. This is South Hills' team. This is South Hills being incarnate in Honduras. So do pray for them. Thank you for those who've given. The team is fully funded, and we're grateful for that, for God's provision for that. And uh, we look forward to all that God's going to do in and through the team. Uh, I grew up uh, on the west side of the mountains where it's green and there's rain and there's trees. Um, But I remember going, as I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, we would do uh, field trips. We'd do, you know, Washington State history. We learned a lot about Lewis and Clark. Uh, We had Fort Vancouver, which was established by the Hudson's Bay Company, and we would do school trips to Fort Vancouver to learn about the early settlers coming out. And just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we were in Colorado for a couple weeks, so we drove out there, and we were driving across southern Wyoming, and I was just envisioning what it must have been like for the early settlers to come across there in a wagon train couldn't believe it. You know, just as far as you can see, there's not any power poles or truck stops or freeways when they're coming across. It's just open prairie and mountains. They make maybe 15 miles a day where we did 500. Take them five months from the time they'd leave Independence, Missouri to the time they'd get out to the Willamette Valley. I had a friend from New Zealand here last week and we went down to Pendleton, went to the a historical museum down there. And I read down there that the Blue Mountains were a greater challenge than the Rocky Mountains. I'm like, holy cow, who would have thunk? And I just envision what it must have been like for them. Fascinated by that period and that type of history. But as they'd come, they'd come out in wagon trains. And uh, Often in a line, they'd break up camp in the morning and they'd head out and they'd make their 15 miles. And at the end of the day, they would unhitch the wagons and they'd put them into a circle. They'd circle their wagons. It served many purposes. Part of circling the wagons was to provide a place to keep the kids intact, right? So they're not running off. Take care of the livestock. It was also a form of protection, from animals, from predators, from enemies, from whatever. They would circle the wagons in order to provide fellowship, community, and protection. I like the theme. I like the idea. Circle the wagons. And when people are going through tough times, sometimes you'll hear them say that. we got to circle the wagons. And oftentimes, circling the wagons for them is like, We're just going to close down, and we're just going to be our immediate family. It's just going to be the two of us. We're going to circle our wagons. We're going to shut everybody else out. The challenge is that we've been created for community. And in a world today, in our society, we have an epidemic of loneliness. Even before the pandemic, there was an epidemic of loneliness. I know that both the UK and Japan have established a minister of loneliness. 
Someone whose job is to work on loneliness within their community, within their countries. Matter of fact, the United Kingdom has a loneliness awareness week. Loneliness awareness week is part of their calendar in their year. And I just read this week that there is research revealing that loneliness could have the impact of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's research that suggests it's worse than obesity and that it can shorten your lifespan. See, God knew that when he created you. He's the one who designed you. He's the one who made you. And he created you for community. He created you for community. The series we're in is My Verse, My Story. Last week, Jim uh, unpacked Philippians uh, 4.19, I believe it was, with us. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And as he walked through his story and how God provided his needs, I don't know if you caught it, but part of the way God provided his needs was through community. And as Melanie and I look at our story, the journey that God's had us on, We couldn't be here today. We wouldn't have made it to this point if it wasn't for community. We would have been dead along the wagon trail a long time ago if it wasn't for community. And while I know the series is my verse, my story, for Melanie and I, it's actually my passage, my story. And we're going to get to that passage in a minute. But I want to just start and back up a little bit because we talk about the fact that you were created for community and I love the fact that the Bible gives us the example of community. God himself is the example of community. Genesis, early on, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us. So God is speaking and he's using the plural us. Now, we're not going to unpack the whole concept of the Trinity today, but we serve one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is an example of community. The Godhead itself lives in community. Why would we do any less? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. If we have been created in his image, in his likeness, then that means that we need community as well. Jesus, when he came to this earth, was incarnate. He lived among us, modeled this idea of community. Look at Luke chapter 6. When morning came, he, Jesus, called his disciples, multiple, to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated as apostles. You know, you ever think that Jesus probably could have been a whole lot more effective in his ministry on the earth if he did it by himself? I mean, think of the ragtag bunch he called along with him to do this journey. I almost think they probably made it harder for him. But he knew the value of community. He sent out 70. He called 12. He poured himself into three. Even Paul, as he went out on his missionary journeys, he didn't do it in isolation. He did it in community. Bible gives us 
multiple examples of community because God created you for community. But we don't just have the example of community. We have the excellence of community. Love the writer of Ecclesiastes as he lays out for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls down, one can help the other get up. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to help them up. You ever been there? I can't get up. Somebody needs some help. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You weave three strings together, it's a lot harder to break than just the one string by itself. You were created for community. Now, um, our history, many of you know, we uh, spent time overseas, uh, both in the U.S. and overseas, and in uh, 2008, uh, we made a move from Vancouver, Washington, to Sydney, Australia. And when we made that move, we had with us, uh, I think she was 21. She'd been planted in our family for probably six or eight months when we moved. She was from a highly dysfunctional background. Um, her name was Sabrina. She changed her name later to Peppa, but Sabrina went with us. Highly dysfunctional background, poorly things mattered, abuse and whatnot. We took our 14-year-old daughter with us. Those of you with children, those of you who've raised teenagers, you know females at 14, the challenge that that is emotionally, and an 11-year-old son. We transplanted them from the U.S. into Australia. Australian school system, their mentality is uh, very British. We're going to tear you down in order to build you back up. The tear down happened really well. The build back up didn't happen so well. She was an American in an Aussie school. It was also the time when um, the election, Barack Obama election was happening. And she was ridiculed and made fun of because her parents were racist because they didn't vote for Obama. She didn't know why. All she knew is that they didn't. But that was labeled her. She's a go-getter, so she'd raise her hand and answer the question. In an Aussie school system, you don't typically do that. In an Australian culture, they like everybody on the same level. They like this idea of mateship. And our little go-getter was starting to raise above that. And they call that the tall poppy syndrome. Once you raise up a little high, we're going to cut you down. And we started watching our girl, our sweet, precious 14-year-old, Come home on a Friday in tears and exhausted and wiped out and on Saturday lighten up a little bit and then as Sunday went start just getting heavy and heavy and heavy and in tears again because school was the next day. And she started dealing with uh, processing her own issues and processing uh, her own self-image. And she had modeled from her older sister something called anorexia. And both Peppa and Christina delved deep into the abyss of anorexia. Eating disorder. If you don't know much about anorexia, it's a terrible thing. It's horrible. It's not just you can't just, well, make them eat. That doesn't happen. 
There's psychological things as well as physical things going on within the body. Matter of fact, it's a very spiritual thing. There's actually a demon called Anna. People deep, deep into anorexia will do penance to Anna. They'll pray to Anna. It's an awful thing. And the battle of anorexia was raging in our family. It was a war. And we didn't know what to do. We felt isolated. We felt alone. And God took us to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up there. We're going to walk through the passage. We're not just going to read it. Uh, So we're going to take it verse by verse as we go. And you're going to see a battle plan that was developed that we took ownership of and we want to communicate and challenge you to own as well because you were created for community. And when the, the demon, the battle, the awfulness of anorexia weighed in on our family, we needed community and we needed a battle plan. So just a little bit of context, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, the nation of Israel is divided into two nations at this point. Uh, so we had three kings, Saul, uh, David, and Solomon. After Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel splits, and you had the northern tribes, which were the kingdom of Israel. You had the southern tribes, which was smaller, and that was Judah, Israel. All they ever had was bad kings, awful kings who ignored God. Uh, Judah had a mix. They had some good kings, they had some bad kings, and they had some benign kings, if you will. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. And we pick up his story here in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Minyanites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Three countries coming to wage war against little Judah. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat hears the news that a vast army is coming to attack him. That's how we felt. This army of anorexia descended on our house. We've had other armies that descend on our house at different times. Right now we've got uh, Prodigal. Felt like that's an army descending on our house. I remember being in the Philippines when, when Ron, one of our people here had a heart attack. Boy, it felt like the enemy was closing in. There's all these different situations, but this passage came to light in the midst of this idea of anorexia. I don't know where you're at today and what enemies you feel are pounding at the doors or encroaching or coming. You can see them in the distance and you're shaking in your boots going, the enemy's coming. I don't know what to do. That was Jehoshaphat. So in verse 3, we see him alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah, not just the people in the palace, not just the people in Jerusalem, not just Jehoshaphat's family, the people of Judah, the whole people of Judah came together. What did they come together for? To pull out their swords and fight? They came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Oh Lord, there is a vast army and they are coming at us. We cannot do this alone. And so we're going to learn several things that the community of Jerusalem did uh, through this process, through this battle plan. The first one is the community of Jerusalem was called together. They circled the wagons. So we got danger. 
approaching. We got to come together. And that's what Melanie and I did. We sought out our Jerusalem. And our Jerusalem was bigger than the four walls of our house. Our Jerusalem was bigger than our immediate family. We called on people back in the States. We called on people in Australia. We brought in an inner circle of people that we could trust. And we said, this is what's going on. We need you to seek the Lord with us. Please, we don't know what to do. Such a good place to be in when you have people you can call on because you were created for community. Who's your Jerusalem? Who is it that when the chips are down, you're going to give them a call? Because the battle was raging. And it felt like we were going to be overwhelmed. And so the community came together. But then look at what the community did when they came together. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Continue on. They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. Isn't that great that God's going to hear us and save us? Jehoshaphat continues. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. You didn't let us drive them out, God. You wanted us to keep them there. And now look at how they're repaying us. They've turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but we're coming together as Jerusalem. We're coming together as a community, and we're putting our eyes and our focus on you because you're the one with the power, God. You're the one with the power. And the community of Jerusalem recalled God's faithfulness. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of difficult times and trials and trauma and heartache and sorrow, my vision gets real blurry. My focus gets really narrow. And it takes my Jerusalem to come alongside me and say, remember? Look at what God's done. See his power. See his might. See his strength. See his faithfulness. I need to be reminded of God's power and glory and faithfulness by the community around me because sometimes I can't remember for myself. I'm proud. I love my wife, Melanie, and I'm proud of her. Five years ago, she got a hold of something called a five-year journal. It's been revolutionary for her spiritual walk and consequently mine as well. 
She got it for us to do together, but I'm not much of a journaler, quite frankly. But I love it because every day, like today is July 30th, so the page heading is July 30, and then there's six lines and six lines and six lines and six lines and six lines. So you don't have to write a lot. But this year, 2023, as she writes her six lines, she gets to look back at 2022, 2021, and 2020, and 2019, and see what God has done the last five years. So now when we're in the midst of it, when our eyes are blurry and bloodshot and our focus is narrow, we can look back and say, man, look at what God did. Look at how far he's brought us. And community is great at helping us do that. You were created for community, and the community can remind you of God's faithfulness. But that's not the only thing community does. Community is going to intercede with us, going to beg before God for us and help us for, for the answers. Let's see what happens with Jehoshaphat. All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and little ones stood there before the Lord. They all came together before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. Jehaziel? Who's he? He's not Jehoshaphat. He's not in Jehoshaphat's inner circle. He's not one of the priests. He's just some dude. He's the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph. He's some dude in the community. Just one guy. All of Judah has gathered together to inquire of the Lord, and God revealed to this guy, I don't know why him, it could have been anybody, but he revealed to him, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he said, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. Keep going. You will not have to fight this battle. I love that. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I love that. The community of Jerusalem came together. They remembered God's faithfulness. And then the answer came from within the community. When we live in isolation... We miss out on the opportunity for God to speak into our lives through other people. I need other people. Just in daily life, I've got blind spots. And other people help me see them. But when the battle is raging, when anorexia was descending on our house, we needed the input from other people. We needed them to beseech the Lord on our behalf. Because we were weak and weary and tired. And God would reveal stuff to them. I'm not the sole person that God shows stuff to. God shows stuff to you. God reveals things to you. And then you put that into my life as God reveals it to you. I need that. 
The answer came from within the community. And when we were deep in anorexia, it was the people who were praying for us that God would show them things and they would encourage us and they would speak into our life and they would help us with the next step in the battle. We can't do it alone because we're created for community. So they went out the next day. Actually, before they ever went out, Jehoshaphat, I love this, he hears God speak to this random dude in the community and he bows down with his face to the ground and all the people of Jerusalem and Jeru- Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Thank you, God, for showing us an answer. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for not leaving us without a battle plan. And then the next day they go out early in the morning. They left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld and have Faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, here's King Jehoshaphat realizing he's got community. He draws in community. They come together. He consults them. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I love this. They go out to battle worshiping. They've been told there's going to be a great deliverance, but they haven't seen it yet. They have faith that God's going to work, but they're still overwhelmed. In the midst of the battle, the community helped him them to worship. They worshiped in the midst of trials and confusion. I can't tell you, friends, how important this is. I love the song we sang right before the message. He's the way maker, miracle worker. I got to sing that. I got to remind myself of that because in the midst of it, I don't have the way made. The miracle hasn't appeared yet. But in the midst of it, we're going to sing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithfulness endures forever. And I need my community to help me do that. Because when I'm beaten down and I'm low and I'm in the midst of the battle and I'm overwhelmed, it is hard. But we turn up the praise music even more. I've got a playlist. I think I told you this a couple weeks ago. I have a playlist in Spotify that I've been creating called Prisoner of Hope. And when I'm feeling under it and I'm feeling in the battle, that goes on. It's all songs about hope and God's provision and God's glory and God's answer. And I sing it before I have the answer. I go to the battlefield worshiping because I serve a God who is faithful and true. And he's going to give the answer. And I love what happens next. As they began to sing in praise. Remember, they haven't gotten to the battlefield yet. All they know is that there's three armies there and that God told some dude in the community to be faithful, go stand firm and watch God work. So they start singing and praising as they do it. Not before, not after. As they start singing, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy. 
Their worship moved God to action. The men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they'd finished them off, they turned on each other and slaughtered each other. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. You know, a lot of passages, you know, they talk about this battle happening and and two guys like ran off to tell somebody else. No one. This vast army that was going to overwhelm Judah and no one escaped. The community of Israel saw God fight the battle when they worshipped him in the midst of their trials and their confusion. When they came together in community. When they remembered God's faithfulness. When they listened for someone to speak within that community and followed through what it was, they saw God fight the battle. Anorexia was not a battle we could fight on our own. It was overwhelming. But as our community came together and reminded us of God's faithfulness and prayed and interceded with us and worshiped with us, we saw God begin to work. I remember one night very vividly, we were at my folks' house. We're back in the States now and wondering if we were going to get to move to New Zealand because Christina's anorexia was so bad, her body was so weak that we didn't think she was going to pass the physical that would allow us to move to New Zealand. And it had been another battle and she didn't need anything and she was in on her bed. She was all hunched over and clenched up, rocking back and forth. We went in and we prayed with her and by the time we were done, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad and little brother were all in there. We were praying over her. We were praying with her. We said, it's, it's not enough for us to pray over you. You've got to say it. You've got to tell Satan he has no power here. You've got to tell him to go. She's rocking back and forth. We're praying over her, and finally, I don't want this. Satan, you got to go. No, you got to say it with authority, girl. Satan, I don't want this. You have to go. And her whole body relaxed. And she started quoting scripture. I didn't know she knew. Because God was fighting the battle on our behalf through community. As we came together and depended upon community, we couldn't fight this battle, but God could. The battle you're in, you do not have the strength to overcome. Don't try and do it on your own. Call your Jerusalem together. Pray together. Worship and watch God step in and fight the battle. The ultimate battle. The ultimate battle is for your very soul. And we try and do it on our own. We think if we're good enough and we come to church enough and we put enough money in that offering plate, When we read the Bible enough, maybe, 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 maybe I can get there and I'll earn God's favor. But the ultimate battle is that Satan, he wants you to believe that because he wants to keep you separated from God. But God fought the battle on your behalf. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and come back to life is because he wants, he wants a relationship with you. And he knows that the only way for you to have forgiveness, hope, joy, and a future is to trust in him. He fought that battle so you don't have to. All you have to do is receive it. And he will gladly give it to you. And I love how this passage ends. They came up and they saw 
all the dead bodies. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it all. And remember, the whole community of Judah just showed up here. And it took them three days to collect the plunder. The community of Jerusalem got to gather the spoils. They got to gather the spoils. And our community, our Jerusalem, has been gathering the spoils. Christina went on to get a certificate in worship leading. She got her degree from a Bible college. As a matter of fact, she wanted to be with us today, but she's leading worship at her church in Spokane because they ask her they ask her to be the interim worship director. Now their worship pastor is gone. And we collect the spoils. And the last, praise God, in the last 18 months, she's won, I believe, at least six awards as a civilian in the Air Force at her base and across the Air Force. Six awards she's won in the last 18 months. And we collect the spoils. Peppa got a nursing degree and she's a practicing nurse. We collect the spoils. Christina and Matt are married and they love the Lord and they have a strong relationship with us and we collect the spoils. And our Jerusalem collects the spoils with us and they rejoice with us and they celebrate with us because they were in the battle with us. And now we get to celebrate and collect the spoils in community and we wait we wait in anticipation because our prodigal hasn't come back yet we're still in the midst of the battle and our Jerusalem's still praying with us and reminding us of God's faithfulness and reminding us of the promises God gave us and the future we look to collecting the spoils because God gave me a very clear vision of my prodigal on the platform with Christina proclaiming the gospel together when that happens, we collect the spoils together. You were created for community, my friends. We could not have fought these battles on our own. We needed our Jerusalem. We've been given an example of community. We've seen the excellence of community. So now it's to you. Will you engage in community? Because engaging in community is not showing up here on a Sunday morning about the time worship starts, sliding into your seat, and when I pray at the end, you get up and leave. That's not community. Community is getting in relationship with people, being honest with people, sharing your lives with people. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We can see the day approaching, so we need to be in community, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. There's a flyer on your chair for one epic week. If you know that you've been isolating yourself, this is a great opportunity to connect into community. Pick one of the events. Pick all the events and show up. Some of them you got to pre-register for, so plan ahead. But show up. 
Next month, we're going to start a push for life groups for this fall. You haven't been involved in a life group? You are missing out. Life group has sustained us. It's provided us support. It's become that community, that Jerusalem for us. I want to thank my dad's life group because I've seen how that Jerusalem has supported him as he watches his wife. Get in a life group. Engage in community because you were created for community. And instead of just showing up here and sliding in and sliding out on a Sunday morning, why don't you attend one and serve one? Serving teams are another great way to develop community, to get engaged with other people and to get to know people so that when the battle comes, you can circle the wagons. You can gather together. You can remember God's faithfulness. You can listen for the answer to come from within your community. You can worship as you go into battle. You can watch God fight the battle and then you can collect the spoils. But it happens in the context of community. So, my friends, if this morning you're in the midst of challenges, if you're the one in the midst of the battle, who can you reach out to? Who can you circle the wagons with and ask them to pray for you? Tell them that you need help. And I got to be honest, it should be bigger than just your family. I know there's some great family units in this church and in this community as a whole, But allow your wagons, your circled wagons, your community to be broader than that. And if you're doing well, maybe you're not in the midst of the battle right now. You're not in the midst of trials. Can I ask you to open your eyes and see and ask God who you can circle your wagons around? Who is it that needs your support and your encouragement? And just a little caveat with that. Don't go up to them and ask them, what can I do? Because if they're in the midst of trials, the last thing they want to do is try and organize you. You just jump in and do it. May was a really tough month for us. We had to move mom, and it was a rough transition. And part of our Jerusalem, they just showed up at our house and started mowing our lawn. Thank you, Jesus. Circle your wagons around somebody else because you were created community. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example you gave us of community. Thank you that you model it just in who you are as the Godhead. But God, thank you for designing us that way. I pray that you would show each one of us who those people could be the, be a part of our Jerusalem. For those who are struggling today, Lord, I pray that you would help them to reach out and ask people to circle around them. Ask people to come together and pray over them and to support them and encourage them. For those who are doing well, Lord, I pray that they would, you'd open their eyes for them to see who is it that I can reach out and support? Who can I circle my wagons around? And God, I thank you for fighting the battle on our behalf. Lord, I praise you this morning for the work that you have done in our daughter's life. 
and continue to do and the way that you use her and you use that story, that story we wanted to rip out of our life, that you use it for your kingdom purposes. Thank you for allowing us to collect the spoils because the glory and the praise and the honor doesn't go to us. It doesn't even go to our Jerusalem, Lord. It goes to you because you're the one who fights the battles because you are great. Great is the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.